go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Jonathan. Wonderful. That's kind of the, uh, the plan on Wednesday night, have a song or two uh, ready to just kind of set the tone, if you will. And uh, quite frankly, uh, that Jonathan couldn't have picked uh, a more appropriate song for tonight because it's all about Jesus, every bit of it, including the study of end times, which is what we're going to embark on tonight. How many of you brought your Bibles with you? Awesome, good. Just the people over there. Okay, excellent. Right. So wave your Bible at me. Let me see. Wave your Bible at me. All right, good. There you go. Very good. And you brought something to write and take notes in and you brought a writing utensil and device, whatever else, right? I always say a short pencil is better than a long memory any day of the week. So... Uh, Taking notes uh, is, is probably an important thing. This is an important subject uh, that is not taught enough in the church. Uh, in fact, I'm guilty. I haven't taught it in, uh, actually, I think tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow, uh, eight years being here. Uh, amen. Praise God. Uh, but I haven't taught it <laughs> since I've been here. So uh, get ready to, uh, yeah. I was going to say, have your world rocked, but that's not about me. It's about the teaching. It's about the teaching. Uh, I have entitled this, What Jesus Wants Us to Know About End Times. But subsequently, I thought about a title called Preparation of the Saints. But I can't really do my job for the preparation of the saints without telling them what Jesus wants them to know <laughs> about the end times. And so I've just in, decided to entitle tonight, How to Be Ready for Jesus' Return. <laughs> I had too many titles, I didn't know what to do with them all. Uh, tonight is an introductory um, message to set the stage for the weeks uh, to come, uh, as I said, about the preparation of the saints. And, and even though uh, I'm still sticking with what Jesus wants us to know about the end times. If I got right down to it, it's about preparing us, you, me, for the return of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do I, have, I need to go get my amen signs. I, I, I haven't had those out in a long time. In studying or talking about end times, it's important to have an open mind regarding the possibilities of what may or may not happen. So as I prayed about that, I believe under the anointing of the Holy Spirit just a couple of moments ago, I want to say that to you now. It is important when studying much of the Bible, if not all of the Bible, but specifically as it relates to end times, that you enter into that study with an open mind for what may or may not happen. It's also important to be open uh, to new and fresh revelation. The moment you say that you have figured out everything there is to know in the Bible is the moment that you have stopped allowing yourself to receive fresh revelation from the Lord. And so you might need to be open to fresh revel revelation in regard to the timing and the events uh, that comprise and are prophesied about the end times. And so I'm kind of setting the stage right here in the beginning is that we need to have an open mind to hear from the Lord. Amen? Amen. Uh, the Bereans were a group that's uh, talked about in the book of Acts, I believe it is. And they were considered a very noble people because they received the Word of God with great joy. But then they went home afterwards and studied to make sure that the things they were being taught were in fact biblical truth. Okay? And so you need to remember I'm just a man. I am prone to fault and fallacy. However, you need to also know that I pray diligently, Lord, help me not err in your word. I can err in a whole lot of areas in my life, but dear God, help me not err in your word. That being said, I'm still just a man. And I, I can promise you that over the weeks to come, you're going to hear some things that's going to challenge 
your specific paradigm, and you already know that about me. Your, your, your current paradigm, by and large, is probably going to be challenged. Then be noble, receive the word with great joy, and go home and study to show yourself approved, a faithful workman who needs not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Amen. So I believe that it is imperative to view theology, to view doctrine, to view biblical teaching in view of all the Scripture, not in view of one Scripture or just a handful of select passages, but to view, as it relates to theology, doctrine, and teaching of the Word of God, to view all Scripture because the Bible is its own best commentary its own best dictionary, its own best lectionary, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the Bible confirms itself from page one to the last page where Jesus said, Behold, I come quickly. So we shouldn't cherry pick a text or two here and there to somehow make that text match our specific viewpoint, and this especially stands true in regard to eschatology, which is the study of end times. Your position, your theology, your doctrine on end times needs to be confirmed by all the Word of God and not just a few passages of text that seem to match your way of thinking or seem to match what you've always ever been taught. Okay? I've I've taught you all this many times over these eight years, is that all of us come with a lens by which we view and by which we interpret the Word of God. And it is, by and large, based on how we were brought up, whether that be in life from childhood up to now or how we were brought up in church life or Christian life with whatever denomination or religion that is in a part of your background. For example, if you were raised a Baptist, you're going to view the Word of God more than likely from a Baptist angle, Baptist viewpoint. If you're a Methodist, if you're if you raised a Catholic, if you're raised a Pentecostal, you're going to view certain scriptures a specific way based on what you've been taught all your life. And I challenge all of us to be willing to let what we've been taught all our lives potentially be challenged. Because how do you know that what you've been taught is truth unless the Holy Spirit himself plants it in your spirit that that is the conviction he has laid upon your heart. Many years ago, I, I first started pastoring in 1999 when I first became a senior pastor, and I knew that people were going to ask me about end times, and I did not want to talk about end times. And whenever we'd have a fellowship, there was always somebody in the group that would say, well, what do you think about the rapture? Or whatever the question may be. And I was just very, very smart at changing the subject and moving on to something else. Yeah. But I quickly realized that the people of God were banking on their pastor to help them understand what they need to believe from the Word of God. That's both a good thing and a bad thing. That means that some people will just believe anything their pastor tells them. Hmm? And some people need their pastor to help them understand what the Word of God has to say, right? So that being said, I, I, I went on a journey. This was within my first year of pastoring. I said, God, people are going to ask me about this. I need to hear from you. I know what I think I believe. That's an important statement, y'all. I know what I think I believe, but I don't know why I believe it. Are you listening to me? I think I know what I believe, but I don't know why I believe it. So, Lord, I need to hear from you. You need to plant something in my spirit so that I can say, I know what I believe, and I know why I believe it. Are you all hearing me? So I'm setting the stage for you all to enter into this with a mindset, with a heart condition that allows yourself to be open 
to the possibilities, the probabilities. I am adamant about the fact that the various authors of Scripture should match what our Savior Jesus Christ had to say about end times and not the other way around. Let me say that again because this is, this is I said I used the word adamant. I'm adamant about the word adamant right here. Every author, Paul, Peter, Matthew, Luke, John, Isaiah, Joel, Daniel, Zechariah, and all the rest must line up with the teachings of Jesus on this subject. Not their teachings somehow line up, excuse me, not Jesus' teachings somehow lining up with theirs because if I do it that way, it fits my specific doctrinal paradigm. So with the uh, study of end times comes a lot of exciting topics, some of which I'm sure you all were hoping I'd just dive right into tonight. No. <laughs> well, you know, what, what do you got? We got, you got the one world government, the one world economy, seven-year tribulation, abomination of desolation, antichrist, the mark of the beast, the resurrection, the thousand-year millennial reign, the wrath of Satan, the wrath of God, <gasps> 21 judgments, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, Israel, the church, the rapture, etc. All topics of discussion that is a part of the end times teaching. However, a good Bible study is likened to what Isaiah had to say in the 28th chapter and 10 verse, 10th verse of his book where it says, precept, precept here means truth, precept upon precept, notice he repeats it, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And like I said, there may be some of you that came out tonight with excitement. Oh, we're going to talk about the rapture. <laughs> and we are, just probably not tonight. Because the study of end times, especially if your ears are going to be open, your mind open, your heart open supernaturally by the Holy Spirit, and if we're going to rightly divide the word of tr truth in order that the entire Bible from cover to cover relates to the subject and that everything that we talk about relates back to what Jesus had to say about it, then it needs to be line upon line, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept. You all following me? So, instead of just jumping right into some of these really exciting topics that are usually the centerpieces of all conversation as it relates to end times, we're going to go to the Old Testament. Yes, that's right, the Old Covenant. Because I think that it's important to build a prophetic foundation to consider the Lord's return. In considering the Lord's return, we need to see it have at least a consideration of the prophetic foundation that's laid out for us uh, all the way back to Exodus even, which we're going to look at tonight. See, end times, a lot of us when we hear end times, we go, oh, we're going to study Revelation. Well, yeah. Some of you came tonight thinking, we're going we're to study Revelation. How many of you came tonight thinking, we're going to go through Revelation. We'll have a revelation for you. That ain't going to happen. Now, it will happen down the line because obviously you can't have an end times conversation without a conversation about revelation. But you need to know that the study of end times, eschatology, understanding what our position ought to be about end times, and preparing ourselves for the return of the Lord is not just a New Testament slash revelation teaching. It, the Old Testament is replete with teachings, prophecies about the end times. And in fact, if the New Testament said something different than the prophetic words that were in the Old Testament, I, I, forgive my point here because I'm just trying to make a point, there could be something wrong with the New Testament because all the word fits together. Are you with me? 
If you got an Old Testament that says one thing way over here and a New Testament that says one thing over here, somebody's messed up somewhere. But I'll say this to you, with, I'll use the word adamant again, and I'll try adamantly not to use the word adamant too many more times. I am a firm believer that the truth about end times, in fact, many of the truths throughout the Bible are taught to us from cover to cover, and they all uh, there's no contradiction whatsoever. They are fitted so well together. It's a mer- miraculous thing to think about the Word of God that you can look at a teaching from three, 4,000 years ago and recognize it's for today. So, that being said, even though the Lord's return is, is fundamental doctrine of our faith, in churches that I mentioned a while ago, Baptists, I mean, any of them, they're going to have in their tenets of faith a belief in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a fundamental doctrine of faith, regardless of what your background and upbringing is or was. However, isn't it interesting that one of the most fundamental doctrines of faith and maybe most exciting yet scary to talk about, is the one most people think the least about, talk the least about, or pray the least about. What's up with that? Maybe one of the reasons is that for hundreds of years, people have been saying, we're in the last days. Jesus is coming soon. And I mean, how many times can the boy cry woof before you no longer believe there's a woof? So people in our human uh, condition and disposition say, yeah, well, I don't know. They've been saying that for years. Probably not, at least not while I'm alive. Can I help you? Also in the American human disposition, when you have that kind of a statement, it precludes you from having to be ready for whatever may happen. So I want you to know that Jesus is about to break into your reality. He's about to mess you up. Uh, we're going to be making a confession and a declaration here together in just a minute. And I, but I want to talk about that for a second because our Christian faith is based on the confession, profession, and declaration of our mouth. Our whole faith is. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Even our very salvation is based on the confession, declaration, profession of your mouth. Hebrews chapter 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And did you know this, beloved? You will never rise above the confession of your mouth. Never. You'll never rise above the confession of the things you will say. So we're going to make a confession together. It's very simple. And we're going to profess and make this declaration together. Now, whenever you all make a confession and a declaration to the Pledge of Allegiance, you all stand. Isn't that correct? So stand, please, since we're going to talk about God things and not just country things. And I believe that also that we all put our hand over our heart as a declaration, right? So we're about to make a declaration. It's not near as long as the Pledge of Allegiance. In fact, it's a power statement. Do you have that power statement? Can you throw that power statement up there? Here it is. Are you ready? I want you to repeat it after me because there's a timing to it that I want you to say it. Jesus Jesus is coming back back for me. me. Let's do it again. Jesus Jesus is coming back back for me. me. Give the Lord praise. You can sit down. So there was a confession and a declaration that you've just made. You see, I wonder when the last time you said that is. When's the last time that a part of your prayer life, a part of your thought life, a part of your study life was behind or 
supported, I should say, undergirded by the declaration, Jesus is coming back for me. We've lost sight of it, haven't we? We've, it's grown dull in our senses because people have been declaring it for hundreds of years and it hadn't happened yet. Therefore, what do I need to worry about? So I, as, as I talked about Sunday, about the disposition that we have as human beings when out of sight, out of mind, that when there's something, we need to keep it in the forefront of our minds. It needs to be something that I'm hoping that, just like I said, uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I make a choice to rejoice. That that be, that's a declaration I say over my, that's a confession I say over my life every day. And you know what I'm saying now? Jesus is coming back for me. Now, when you begin to think like that, it's going to shape how you live. When you begin to have a declaration that you believe, it's going to shape how you live. It's going to shape and, and determine the things that you do. It's going to make a difference in how you think. It's going to make a difference in what you say. There ain't no more compromising Christianity once you make this declaration and believe it. Say it again with me. You don't have to stand up. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I'm going to say it, and I want you to repeat it after me, because it's the, 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 the rhythm and the way that it comes out, is gonna, it's powerful. Jesus, Jesus is coming back, coming back. For, me. for me. Amen. Give the Lord a praise. You ready to get started now? That was my introduction. Are you having fun yet? Did I say something about we needed to go to the Old Testament to start this thing? All right, then our starting point is to look at the fact, fact that the return of the Lord Jesus was prophesied and was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And so we're going to take a look at a historic Old Testament account that it is unlikely that prior to tonight you have read this account as a foreshadow, a type, a prophecy of the coming of the Lord. But I, now that I've set the stage for it, you will see it in the reading of it. Even though I'm going to break it down a little bit. Exodus chapter 19, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. All right, amen, love the word, I like that. Exodus chapter 19, I'm going to read a uh, few verses there. I'm going to start with, I think they got the, the reference on the screen up there. Oh, and by the way, all of you who are live streaming tonight, God bless you. Thank you for joining up with us and being a part of this Bible study. Hey, I wonder if we can all welcome our live stream audience tonight. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. All right. I'm going to try not to put too much inflection. I can't help it. I'll probably do it anyway on the spots that ought to make you go, oh. <gasps> Wow, did you hear that? Here we go. I'm going to start with verse 10. Let me, let me set the stage. They're, the people, the children of Israel have gone, they're out of Egypt now. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're at Mount Sinai, okay? This is, is the historic uh, point of, this is the point of history that we're at. So they're at Mount Sinai, and Moses is getting ready to go up the mountain, Okay, we all, he's going to get the Ten Commandments, right? Y'all with me in the timeline? All right, so check it out. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. What? Take your clothes to the laundry. That must mean something, right? And let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You set bounds, you shall set bounds. Oh, I want to go on from verse 11, I want to go to 16. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of a trumpet. There I go adding my inflections was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. 
And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. And then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. I wonder how many of you saw any end time stuff in there. If you didn't, I get a chance to break it down for you a little bit now. Okay? All right, let's take a look at verses 10 and 11. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them. Wash their clothes. Be ready. The very first thing that I can do that follows the Word of God as a pastor as it relates to the teaching of end times is to help you understand that you must consecrate yourself, that you must, must wash your garments, and I'm not talking about your physical clothes, and you must be ready. That's why the Lord asked me to call this preparing the saints for the Lord's return. It's what you and I need to be doing. We need to be getting ready for the Lord's return. We're not supposed to just be going through the church motions and just doing the stuff, singing the five songs, receive the offering, laugh at the pastor's jokes, and go out and have chicken. That's not the way. It, you know, there's, there's more to the scenario. We need to be washing ourselves in the Word of God. We need to be, you, you know, the modern church doesn't like these two words, but I'm sorry. We are... You call me old school. It's just fine. I'm 64. I'm old school, okay? We need to be repenting and confessing our sins. And you might say, well, how is that a cleansing? Well, 1 John chapter 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is the starting point of cleansing. And we... Here, here in this setting, the Lord's saying, listen, before I come down, before I blow the trumpet, and before you come up, you've got to consecrate yourself. You've got to wash your garments. You've got to get ready. So there's that thing, we've got to cleanse ourselves and wash our robes. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, there, these are the ones who came out of great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I'm, I'm going to read one more Revelation passage, and I want you to see something specific in it. Revelation 22, 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Who washed their robes? They did. Nowhere did it say that the Holy Spirit was washing their robes. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes. The people who wash their robes and keep their robes clean, the garment of salvation, the garment of holiness, that comes through confession and repentance and doing your best in this earth suit to live a godly life to the best of your understanding of the Word of God. You see, the, the, the beauty is, is the Lord doesn't hold you necessarily to my understanding and conviction of the Word of God. He holds you to what your understanding and revelation and conviction of the Word of God is. You're not, you're not held in conviction by the same things that God convicts me of. You're held, by, you're held in conviction by the Holy Spirit by the things that the Lord reveals to you. And they will be individual. But you got to wash your robes. Now, granted, it's done through the power and the help of the Holy Spirit, amen? And the cleansing fuller's soap, as the Bible talks about, is the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's sort of like it's laundry day, and whatever garments you have that you look at, that there's a, there's a stain on my garment. Whatever that may be, I lusted, I lied. Whatever it may be, there's a stain on my garment. I don't know about you, but I, I, I have one, well, I got lots of idiosyncrasies, but one of my idiosyncrasies is I can't wear a shirt that's got a spot on it. Drives Diane nuts. 
If I get a spot on my shirt driving down the road, we are turning this car around. Because I cannot go through the rest of the day without being obsessed by the spot. Why can't we be obsessed by the spots on our spiritual garments? Why do we learn to live with the spots on our spiritual garments? And the Word of God says to wash your garments. In fact, blessed are those who wash their garments. They'll have a right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by the gates. We have to be busy cleansing ourselves. Grant, I understand it's by the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the earth suit and the mind, y'all. We can't do anything to cleanse the spirit, man. That's completely cleansed and regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit the moment we believed and confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I'm talking about this earth suit and this stinking thinking. So we got to make ourselves, we got to wash ourselves, we got to consecrate ourselves, we have to make ourselves ready. Luke 12, 40, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Luke 21, 36, stay awake at all times. Matthew 25, turn there with me. Matthew chapter 25, I'm not going to spend... Uh, any amount of time whatsoever teaching this, but I want to read it because it's one of the premier passages of Scripture from our Lord about being ready or not ready, about falling asleep or staying awake, about having the oil of the Holy Spirit or running dry. I didn't intend to preach tonight, but I feel it. Are you ready? Chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. This is an end times passage of Scripture, so please keep in mind, we are still studying end times. Went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamp. But while the bridegroom delayed... Are you hearing me? They all slumbered and slept. Did you see that? See, the reason we have a human disposition to lose sight of the fact that he's coming back for me is that he's delaying that return. And why is he delaying that return? Because he's not willing, hallelujah, that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation and to the Lord. Amen? But he's delaying. Praise God, he's delaying. And because of that, did you notice there? I wonder, how, I wonder how many of us had noticed that before, that they all slumbered and slept. They all got weary of waiting. They all got bored. And at midnight, a cry was heard. And behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answer said, No. No way, Maynard. It's not going to happen. That's the Rick version. Lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I don't even know you. Wow. They were all virgins. They all had lamps. They all had some oil. They all got bored with waiting and went to sleep. But in the midnight hour, while the wick was still burning just a little bit, five of them ran out of oil, oil typically representing the presence of God, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, etc., etc. They ran out. They went to, got, to go buy some now. You, you know you can't buy this stuff. <laughs> it's already been bought for you with the price of Jesus Christ's blood. Amen? And those five were left behind. I'm, again, 
That's a whole teaching in and of itself. Let's get back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Okay. Again, verse 10 and 11, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes, and let them be ready. Now look at this. For the third day, and I'm not even focusing on the third day thing. Some people may try to take, Oh, that's, that stands for 3,000 years. No, I'm not even. Okay. I don't want to go down the third day trail. What I will look, like, look at is that the Lord will come down in, on Mount Sinai. This is important. In the sight of all the people. What's that mean? Every one of them saw the Lord come down on the top of the mountain. It's estimated, what, some six million Israelites came down in the sight of everyone. Well, that sure does correlate. I love how the Lord marries the Old Testament to the New Testament, and there's such a threading and weaving together of the passages of Scripture. In Revelation 1-7, behold, He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, even they who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. So you see, it's a type and shadow is what I'm telling you that you're seeing in Exodus at Mount Sinai. But it gets better. Back to Exodus 19, 16, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. I always do uh, every time I want to try to blow it for anybody. <laughs> I did it better just there as I could even blow this thing. Uh, it's <laughs> All right, I'm going to fake it. Uh, Exodus 19, 16, then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud. Now, I can't even imagine how loud that trumpet sound must have been then. I can't even put my head around how loud the trumpet sound will be when the trumpet of the Lord sounds and he sends his angels to gather the elect from the four corners of the world. I mean, I'm going to blow it in here. And it's loud if I do it correctly. And so the only reason I got it because I thought, boy, this thing, this is li- this little, this is a little one. It's a little one. It's not a big one. It's, all right? And it's loud. Stop. Back in the days when I played in the clubs, I used to play a song called Misty. You remember Misty? And I whistled a portion of it. And every time I did that, my sister and my wife would crack faces at me, knowing that I could not whistle and smile at the same time. So now I can't blow this trumpet and smile. Thank you, Jesus. I quit now. I quit quit now. All right. Now, if I had to put the microphone on that with a little bit of echo, it still would pale in comparison to what the sound was at the mountain that day, and I believe will pale in comparison by all stretch of the imagination what it will sound like across the globe, hallelujah, when Jesus comes back. Stand to your feet for a minute, put your hand on your heart, and say, Jesus is coming back for me. Give the Lord a praise. You're awesome, Lord. I practiced all afternoon and I didn't get that. For, okay, again, the marriage of the Old Testament and the New. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. Now, here's part of the, the Exodus 19 story that I absolutely love. It's in verse 17. And it says, And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. Now, in that story, they didn't want to meet with God. In that story, they said, no, Pastor Moses, you go for us. We don't want to go. 
if we go meet with God, we're all dead. But you go and come back and tell us what he said, and we'll be happy with that. But did you notice that it says, and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God? That was the intent. Did you know that someday you're going to meet God face to face? You're going to meet your maker, not in the negative connotation of that word at all. You're going to meet the one who created the heavens and the earth. You're going to meet the one who sent his son to die on a cross for you. You're going to meet God. You're going to have a meeting with God himself. I often make a statement that it's an, audacious to, uh, it's an audacious thing to think that we can have an audience with the creator of the universe, and that's just talking about prayer. But it's, some kind, it's something else altogether to recognize that someday we're going to meet the creator of the universe face to face. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's a part of God's plan. That's what he said right there. Hey, Moses, bring the people up here. I want to meet with them. Let's get back to Exodus chapter 19. Verses 19 through 20, as I begin to get close to wrapping up. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai, on the top of the mountain. Just to make a reference to the New Testament and the words of Jesus Christ, when the Lord comes back, he's going to also come back, put his feet on the top of a mountain called the Mount of Olives. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Now, I don't know about you, but after I read this scripture in light of end times, I just went, how'd you never see that before? You know, the type and shadow, the trumpet sounds, God comes down, everybody sees, Moses goes up. There it is in a nutshell, the whole thing. If that isn't a type and shadow of the end times and the Lord's return, I don't know what is. That's what's going to happen someday when Jesus comes back. We're all going to see him, and those that are ready, those that are ready are going to be called up to meet with him. Those that are ready. I didn't say those that said a sinner's prayer one day. I know that messes with some people's theology. I said those that are ready. Who qualifies for the tree of life? Those who have washed their garments. Those who, like me in the physical realm, are obsessed by the spot on my shirt, you need to be obsessed by the stain or the spot on your spiritual robe. I want you to know that Jesus is coming back for you. How many of you remember the very last words of Jesus? Anybody remember the last words of Jesus in the Bible? Huh? It is finished? Is that what you said? Okay, well, that's what everyone would think, that that's the last words of Jesus in the Bible. Uh, the, his final statement, as recorded in Scripture, is in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, where he says, Surely I am coming quickly. And the Apostle John says, Amen, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Surely I come quickly. Last words recorded in Bible of Jesus after the death after the resurrection the last words of Jesus were surely I come quickly you think those are important words are not the last words of a human being the most important words that they'll potentially say now we know that in his life and death those last words as it related to salvation were as Brenda said it is finished but in the in the landscape of human history the last words that have the most matter right now is, hey, guess what, y'all? He's, you know, Jesus is Southern for a minute. I am coming back soon. And if it don't shake you up, something's missing in your walk with Christ. Last words. And I believe that God wants to wake us up today. That's what's happened to me. There's been an awakening in my spirit. He wants us to consciously live with a supernatural awareness that he's coming back soon. I want you all to join me in every morning or several times during the day saying, Jesus is coming back for me. 
and let that become a heart condition. Did you know that the apostles expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime? Because why? The argument there would be that Jesus said, well, before this generation passes away. But you know what the, you know what the intent of that is? Jesus wanted every generation to live as though they would be the generation that would usher in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he wasn't willing that any should perish. So he delayed. And now many generations have passed. And over time, the generations have watered down their uh, 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 adamacy about the coming of the Lord. I even... I even had a conversation with my wife the other day, and we made a statement, you know, there's probably a good chance we won't see any of this, because, you know, but our grandkids would. Well, wait a minute. Even that was a watering down. What? Even that was a watering down. No, 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 no. Let me live my life today as though I'll see you before I die. How many of us live that way? We don't have that mindset. We don't have that heart condition. And friends, you'll never understand. End times will be an interesting display of Bible stuff for you without a heart set, a mindset. Jesus is coming back for me in my lifetime. That's how the disciples had. They believed that Jesus was going to come back for them, and they lived their life accordingly. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to live my life. They kept their robes clean accordingly. Why? Because Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Well, after, every li- after all the lifetimes passed by, generations started going, yeah, I reckon not. Okay, we only have a short time left. Not in tonight's service. Although, Yes. But we only have a short time left to prepare. If we're going to have this mindset, if we're going to have this heart condition, then we have to come to the grips where we only have a short time left to prepare. We only have a short time left to get ready. It's got to be Jesus is the center of my life. Jesus at the center of the church. Because it's all about, it's all about, it's all about Jesus. Heaven forbid any one of us stand before him Sunday and he says, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, which is basically the same as saying, depart from me, you got stains on your robe. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to begin to bring this and wrap it up for, the, for tonight. And I've, I've already written next week's lesson. I'm so excited about it. I'm going to probably take all the 4th of July holiday and just keep writing lessons about this. Hopefully you all have enjoyed uh, tonight. Again, I hope you're not disappointed because I know many of you thought, ooh, we're going through Revelation. Ooh, we're going to talk about the rapture. Ooh, we're going to. But there's much work to be done prior to that. And maybe a big part of the work is that we get a different mindset and a different heart condition. Because the first thing that happened in Exodus was God said to Moses, tell the people to consecrate. No, in fact, he told Moses to consecrate them. Pastor Moses, my job as a pastor is to help you become consecrated before the Lord. I'm not the one that will wash your garments. That's what you got to do. But I'm going to lead you to the fuller soap, which is the word of God and the blood of Jesus. If you're wondering why does he keep saying fuller soap, look it up online. It's a whole other Bible study. I'm not going to. Did I say Matthew 24? Verses 36 through 44. And then we're going to, in closing tonight, we're going to say our confession again. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were so also will be coming, also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be 
the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Verse 42, watch therefore. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. When I grew up in old Pentecost, we knew that the Lord would come as the lightning flashes from the east to the west. We would spend portions of our days looking to the east, physically looking to the east, looking for the coming of the Lord. Think about that. And maybe that's over the top. I don't know. Maybe that became a little work-oriented. I'm sure it did in the, in the deep south and Pentecostal church. You don't look to the east three times a day. You're going to hell. But that, that physical idea, looking to the east, the next time you look to the east, remember that as the lightning flashes from the east, so the coming of the Lord will be. And Jesus is coming back for me. Right? Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that it is the master of the house, excuse me, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into, verse 44. Therefore, you also must, you, I mean, I don't need to add words. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I don't know about you, but I think I'd like to start living my life in expectation. I may get back to looking to the east a few times in the day. Why, back in Pentecost days, we did rapture practice. <laughs> Anybody ever do rapture practice before? No, I won't have you all do it. It's all right. All right, stand to your feet. <laughs> Put your hand on your heart. Repeat after me. Jesus, Jesus is coming back, is coming back for, me. for me. In Jesus' name, I thank you for this tonight, Lord. May it sink into our hearts, into our minds. And may even this pre preliminary teaching, introductory lesson, so affect us as to turn some switches in our lives, to readjust some valves and meters in our lives, to be more finely tuned to you, to be more finely tuned with spiritual eyesight to see the stains and marks and mars on our garments that we can wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb that we could consecrate ourselves and that we can be ready to hear the trumpet sound. For every eye will see and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you all for being here tonight. It's awesome.